This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better Habitat Managers. Another quick interjected episode this week as we hear from Ty Miller of Northern Indiana on a great buck he killed named Cicero. So the point of this episode is to bring to light the strategy Ty used, the cold front, the pressure, the access, everything that he worked on and took so carefully to kill this buck and what I'm hoping is that by throwing this episode out there as soon as possible somebody will hear this listen to it come up with an idea for a game plan on their own put it together and strike so we're calling these little episodes game plan episodes um, I think it's a place for us to learn and it definitely gave me a couple different cards to put in my back pocket when I'm going out this weekend with this cold front coming so Guys, thanks for listening. I want to thank our sponsor, Packer Max, for their support in this podcast. Um, and also, a new sponsor of ours, the Habitat Hook from Nations Creations. I want to thank Nick for joining up with the Habitat Podcast and partnering with us. And I appreciate your support, too, sir. So, guys, here it is. Ty Miller, small acre hunting, and a big old buck named Cicero. All right, welcome back, everyone. We have Ty Miller on the line. Ty, you there? I'm here. Dude, you shot a hog the other day. Yes, I did. Blessed uh, beyond beyond measure right now, kind of floating on cloud 100. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I know I said it in my text, uh, not to sound in a bad way, but I'm super jealous. Like, you shot a really nice buck. 
I'm, I'm, I'm jealous myself of myself at times. I, I actually, as weird as that sounds, I mean, it, it, a little funny story just to get this started. I actually woke up this morning before church, pulled up my weather app with like I do every day during the deer season. I look at it and I go, oh, it's easterly winds. I could go kill Cicero right now. Like this evening's, and, and I was like, wait, I hang on. Did. I already did. And I like walked downstairs, opened up the freezer and I was like, oh my gosh. It was not a dream. Oh, my goodness, man. Uh, for, for everybody who doesn't know, Ty was on the podcast, episode number six. Great episode, one of our uh, most listened to. And we got him back. And why? Because he shot a great buck on October 5th, uh, just a couple of days ago. And like this other episode I recorded, I want to try to bring the listeners and myself Closer to the guys who are putting deer down as it happens type thing. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to call these episodes. Ty, maybe you can help me with something creative. But, Mm -hmm. like, I want people to understand what you did right, why it worked, etc. Maybe we can go implement those things this weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. But first, though, before we get to that, tell me about this property, this buck. I mean, we kind of already know about the property, but this buck especially. Mm -hmm. Tell me about him. Sure. So for those who don't know or didn't listen to the podcast, be sure to check it out. I bought 22, a little bit over 22 acres back in March of 2016. Started sculpting it. It was about 60% fallow fields. And when I say fallow fields, they had been fallow for a while. The one side of the property had a lot of cedars starting to grow up, saplings. The other side was full of uh, briars. You couldn't even walk through them. So we started implementing some plans. I killed a decent buck off of it in 2016. Last year, nothing. And then this year is the story you're going to hear during this podcast. But uh, I got a couple pictures. I was actually looking through trail cam pictures tonight when you texted me, Jared, and was like, hey, we can make this happen tonight. And I was like, okay, I'm fine with that, and uh, it'll be fun. So I actually was looking through, and there was some 2016 photos of this buck that I'm fairly certain is Cicero because of the tri-split brow tying on this one side which is actually how he kind of got the name this year and we'll get into that too but uh he's been there but he's never really laid claim to the property um he's kind of just been one of those bucks that swoops through you're going to be lucky if you get him you know don higgins likes to state things in percentages like if i was to place a percentage on killing him in 2016 or 2017 it was less than five percent like it literally it literally had to be you just had to be there when he just happened to swing through because it was not consistent. He could go weeks, even months, without swinging by, and then all of a sudden you'd get pictures of him one night or, or early morning. I have a feeling I know where he was living, but this year uh, in March and April and May, we went in and did a lot of bedroom sculpting, and I kind of touched on that a little bit in that episode, but we basically made a lot of our bedding areas a little bit more accessible, a little bit more like departmentalized creating hallways, I guess you could call them for lack of a more descriptive term, um, and then carving out bedrooms. And we started getting pictures of this buck that I thought looked really familiar. And looking back on cameras now, it was that buck who just kept kind of kept cruising through. And he was there in June. He was there in July. And we've always kind of had some really big bucks there that then once the velvet drops, they just disappear. But this year – we waited and waited, and we got some hard-horned images of him 
And I was like, all right, that's probably his last week there. And then we'd pull cards, and he'd still be there. And he was there every day. And he was there, I mean, he was walking in the clover plot at 10 a.m. feeding. And then he'd be back out, he'd be back out in the clover plot at 3.30 p.m. And so this clover plot, it's crazy. When you pull in, we actually have four cameras on the west side, and they're literally probably, this might sound crazy, they're like 150 yards apart. But they're all watching a different section of this interwoven mess of clover with briar islands throughout it. And the crazy thing is you have bedding to the north of this, you have bedding to the east of it, you have bedding to the south of it. So it's like one big, like, like a backwards C that surrounds this uh, clover chicory plot. And then my tree that I was actually up is on the west side of everything. So I'm like on a tree line, an old fence row, and I actually access it. It's only like a 150-yard uh, walk. But uh, all that to say Cicero laid claim to that place like it was his own. He was betting literally 60 yards away from that clover, it would seem, because he'd He'd go back down this alleyway to a bedding to the northern side of stuff, and he'd get up, walk out to the clover, and walk. I mean, there was one day he did this like four times. Pictures, yeah, pictures. Then you know he's close, right? Because if he was bedding, oh yeah, you know, a mile away or whatever, and showing up on your place at midnight, yep, it'd be a different story. I mean, when he showed up at night or in the afternoon, it, it was never night. It was in the afternoon. I'm wow. talking like five o'clock. He'd walk out into this clover chicory. And a buck of that size of that maturity is not going to be two hours away from his bed at 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. Oh, man, you're getting me excited over here. I'm smiling no. already. Uh, so, I mean, it was one of those that's things. That's so exciting. I mean, I, I could hardly contain my excitement because he was he was easily the largest buck I've ever actually thought I had a chance at killing. I've right. had pictures of bigger bucks. Right. But, but the more he showed that he was very comfortable. And if you go to, and I would encourage all your listeners to go to Small Acre Hunting on Facebook, there's a v- video that I've pinned to the top of the page. And it touches on, you know, we want to provide them food, we want to provide them water, we want to provide them cover. But ultimately, none of that matters if they don't feel safe. Like, Cicero, Cicero plays that out to a T. He felt so secure moving around because of everything we've done, and we're very purposeful about when we go to the property. We do all we can, and then we get out. Like, Pops actually was talking to me the other day. He goes, I swear that deer knew when we were there that we were going to leave, and we weren't going to be back for a while. Like, he was never felt threatened by us. And uh, one little tip, we don't know if it was him, but there was one day, actually, September 15th, we were out there fertilizing uh all the, you know, putting the nitrogen and urea down on our brassica and everything. And when we came around a bend, I'm riding in the back of the trailer, and I look into a bed that we had carved, which is actually east of that clover plot, and there's a buck bedding in the bed. I can see his antlers, and he turns his head, and he just watches us drive by. No way. Wow. He was probably 50 to 60 yards away. You know, I wanted to, like, yell at Pops to, like, stop. I want to try to get a picture. But, you know, the second we stopped, no. The second he feels threatened. Yeah, you, and you it, definitely did the right thing by just drive by, right? Yep. Just keep going. Oh, yeah. So, like, it was good that we didn't do it. But, like, whenever we enter the properties, the first thing I do is I make noise. I'm yep. clapping. I'm whistling. I'm letting the deer know and letting them filter out. And I, I, I would not be shocked. There was a couple days where we were working on that clover plot. I mowed it one day, 
and I left the property at 4.45. Cicero was out feeding in it before dark. Wow. So most likely he was nearby. It probably took him a while to come out. If I remember right that night, he, was, he, only, he came out like right at dusk. But still, he bedded close. He felt safe, didn't feel he needed to leave. And if we bumped him, he probably just pushed a little farther and waited. Okay, so, it, so that puts him on the hit list, I'd imagine. Now, have you seen this buck yeah. in the past? Yes, like I was saying, I got pictures of him 2016, 2017. Okay. But, again, it, it was always just – I never really named him. I never even bothered because I was like, the chances of him swinging by during the day are very little. Right. So I didn't actually name him until this year. And where does that name come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? I, I'm trying to look around and see if I have anything fun. So <laughs> there, there is. I'm gonna I'm gonna state it to this point. I have a pack of. Uh, I gave something away last time. Yeah. So, so let's do it again. Oh, gee, um, awesome! I've got some. Let me see what I got. You will be got our, some, you'll be our second giveaway along with our first giveaway. I need to give away more stuff. <laughs> Well, I got a bunch of these ones. Okay, these are Dirt Naps Gear DRT heads. They're the single bevel version. Um, yeah, that's those guys at ATA. Those are pretty nice heads. So it's a brand new pack. Uh, I have not opened it up yet. I actually had like four of these packs. I actually have a – I've shot these. I have their single bevel as a secondary head in my quiver every day I go out in the woods. But uh, we'll give these away. <laughs> this is going to be so weird. But uh, it's named after a game. One of my favorite names and one of my uh, favorite games out there. Uh, you can play it on Xbox 360. You can play it on uh, computer, whatever. But it's actually, I think, Zelda. game number. No, it's not Zelda. Okay. Uh, you can play it on, I think it's the fourth series, fourth game in the series. Um, oh, but if you, so all you have to do is uh, message. Let's see. Do we want to have a message you? Sure. That'll work. Okay. Message Jared your guesses. I will text Jared what the real answer is. But if you can let us know what the name of the game is that the character Cicero is from. And I'll give you a clue. Uh, God, I feel like such a gaming nerd right now. Um, it's okay. I did a lot of Halo <laughs> in my day. so. Uh, his his one brow time splits and it, like, sags. One of the, like, in his velvet, he literally looks like he's wearing a jester's hat. Mm. Like, one of those old court jesters, the the comedian and the jester hats and everything. This character in this game wore this, and that's how the name Cicero was born, because the character in the game is named Cicero, hence the name. Okay, everybody, Ty just surprised me with a giveaway, so... We're going to go ahead and you uh, message either me on my personal Facebook, Jared Michael, or go ahead at the Habitat Podcast Facebook. And there we go. Whoever gets it right, Ty, you're going to have to tell me the answer when we hang up. But um, whoever gets it I right. I will. I will. What? You want to do the, the first one to get it right? Yeah, first one to get it right. All right. Done. All right. So we we will not know exactly where the name came from, except it was from a game. So, okay. <laughs> I actually just messaged you, so I didn't forget. Oh, I love that game. Wow. See, no. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm there a huge nerd. Uh, for those who don't know, I played that on my Xbox a lot um, when my wife was in grad school in Montana. That's pretty. So much did it click did. with you? You know what character it is now? I do. 
I do. Okay. Yeah. I don't ever remember the name, but um, yep, that's a great game. Wow. Ah, we digress. We digress. <laughs> Let's get back to deer hunting. Okay, so now that the geeks have left the room, um, back to the deer hunting story. So this buck showing up in daylight on your clover and chicory. Um, mm-hmm. Season comes around. Do you guys open up October first, or when do you open up? Well, that's kind of, yes, October 1st is the general opening okay. of Indiana. And however, this property lays in an urban reduction zone in Indiana. So what that meant was that opens up September 15th. However, I can't take a buck until I harvest an antlerless deer. So you can actually earn a second buck. So I actually hunted some before October 1st, but I never hunted this property because I didn't have my normal archery tag. So if I'd have went out there September 15th and Cicero walked out, I couldn't have shot him. Okay. So, so October I hunt normally, but this is a, an urban zone. Do they open before yep. October 1st then? Yep, September 15th. So oh, I, wow. I, okay. haven't, I have not shot a, uh antlerless deer yet. So that's my goal now to earn a second buck and go after uh, a couple other big boys out there. Otherwise, Indiana is a one-buck state, right? I think we covered that on the first podcast. Yep, correct. Unless you are in an urban zone, you okay. can earn a second one, or okay. you get drawn for, like, I don't know if other states do this. I don't know if Michigan does. You can probably answer that question. Probably. But, like, if you, if you get drawn for, like, a state hunt or, like, a, a park, we have some parks that don't allow hunting outside of, like, one or two special hunts. And if you get drawn for those, you can shoot whatever that day. Okay. Okay. I think we have maybe some of that, but I know here near where I live, they hire sharpshooters and have the taxpayers pay for it. So, anywho. Yeah, um, which seems so much more efficient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. But, yeah, I, October I 1st. Right, yeah. No, but October 1st rolled around, and that was really when I knew I was going to move in on the 1st easterly wind okay i was gonna i was gonna make one push with the perfect conditions and go for it and if it didn't work i was probably gonna not hunt especially that spot that tree until october 21st probably at the earliest okay so that sounds more like more like my style there um now your property correct me if i'm wrong is like a a rectangular shape and do you have stands around it for every single wind then? Because I know in the early season, we normally get yeah. some easterly winds every year. I, I was shocked. I remember uh, the first year I had the property in 2016 when I killed splits, uh, I had a lot of easterly winds, which was which was really abnormal. But you're right. We do get more of them in October, it seems like. Once the winter really sets in, it's kind of a once every 10 days, it seems. Okay. We'll get maybe one. But, but yeah, it's, it's early season seems to be the ticket as far as an easterly wind. And I tell you what, with them being the uncommon wind, I'm becoming a firm believer that that triggers something. If nothing else, it makes those mature deer, uh, I don't know, if they're like a little, little more susceptible to, 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 to airs because they're so used to moving predominantly with westerly and north, northwesterly oh, yeah. winds that I don't know if they're, like, they don't change up what they're doing, so then the wind becomes a detriment to them. But I just, I've noticed with easterly winds, I have really good movement 
but I have very, very, very few stands for those wins. Like tonight, yeah. I didn't go hunt tonight. I told you I was going to go hunt tonight. I didn't because all I had was a solid easterly wind. I don't have a buck tag in my pocket. Otherwise, it would have been back up the tree that I was in when I killed him. But I don't have an easterly stand that I feel comfortable, really, besides that one. Right, right. Yeah, and and I think that there's something to that, like like you said, because I, uh, I have one cellular camera on my oats and winter peas plot. And I had a bunch of deer on it that same night that uh, that Jake killed and the night you killed. Um, yep. Including a nice two-year-old eight-point. I mean, the problem is where I park and where I walked in, where my stand was for that area, I would have been blowing right right over it. I'm not set up for that on that specific yeah. property. Um, yep. But they were on their feet, so it's interesting. Uh, could have been the cold front too. I don't know, but it's. It, there's something to that with what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I think it was a mixture of both. I mean, you had a front moving through. You had an uncommon wind. It was – I could not have asked for a better – and – oh, sorry. I got my – let me mute my computer. I don't know if you can hear that. Sorry about that. Um, uh, it literally had everything because then it also had rain that morning. So everything, I, everything was quiet because that was another part of the hunt. I had to slip in knowing that I knew where there were some beds that he was using. And the closest one was, like, 50 yards from me. So, like, I knew I was going to have to slip in real quiet. Okay. So having those that moisture down on the leaves so the leaves did not make any noises was a huge decision to slip in that early in October as well. Okay. So, yeah, hit, hit any other reason that may have made you slip in early in October. So we covered it was kind of a cold front coming in. Um, yep. Easterly wind, a little bit of moisture. Anything yep. else made you jump in the tree for that bump um, that early? Yeah. If, if I could, and for your listeners' sake, the cold front moved through. It hit really early Thursday morning, October 4th. Okay. In our, in our area, at least. And uh, I shared I shared this uh, with you, and I think a couple others were discussing it. It seems like to me, I don't necessarily the hours right after the front, I don't seem to have as good of a success. It's like that 8-hour to 32, 36-hour window after the front moves through that I really notice really good movement. Yep. That could, that could be just me, but I – and that usually fits up with – because most fronts will move through either overnight or midday which means the next day is usually the day I like to be able to stand. But I tried to get out Thursday night, couldn't. The conditions stayed the same. The temperature swing was still down in the cold uh, cold for this time of year. The wind was out of the east. And then when I saw that it was going to rain, I was like, I have to do everything I can, even if it means, like, getting my boss mad at me. I'm leaving work early, and I'm getting up a tree on Friday. Um a few other factors that made that decision easy for me personally is that stand entrance, I have an access drive that I can actually drive from the west and walk from the west side of everything. And if you remember, I'm hunting this clover section with a bunch of islands, and there's deer to the north, to the east, and to the south of that. So I'm literally coming in from the west, the only direction. Now, there is an outside chance. I'm walking through an old... Uh, dirt bike track, like way back in the day, they used it as a competitive dirt bike. Oh, wow. So like, but it's all overgrown now, but there's a bunch of those hills and berms and the deer do bed in it some. Um, 
I've actually done as much as I can to kind of deter that, but it's not really my property, so the landowner doesn't let me do a bunch of stuff. If I could, I'd kill everything that's growing out there, so it was just like a desert. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I hear you. You don't want to be bumping deer every time you go in. Exactly. So, but I, I got out of the truck that day. It was very quiet. I was able to walk on that entrance. Um, so, like, I have permission if I see a deer on there, I can shoot it, but I can't hunt that ground if that makes sense. So, okay. like, sure. It's one of those things. So, I have an arrow knocked, and from the truck to the, the fence that I have to cross, which the fence is about 12 yards from my stand, it's pictured basically a really wide, overgrown hedgerow. I'm basically up a young oak tree and they're only 12 to 13 feet off the ground it's the shortest stand i've ever hung in my life but i've killed two bucks off of it in three years now oh same um, stand as splits huh same exact stand as splits wow, uh, okay. nearly the same exact spot that i shot him as well um but so it took me forever to get through that field because i in case because you got to remember, too, for those who have kind of followed smaller hunting, there's a buck out there that who's wounded. His name is Bertier. He uh, only can walk with three legs, really. His one back leg, you could chop it off, and it's not going to make a difference to him. He never uses it anymore. So the likelihood of me getting a shot if I bump him is pretty good. So, like, that day, I'm thinking Bertier or Cicero, those are the two deer I'm after. And I get through that, that, uh, that dirt trail the dirt bike track, and I get to the fence, and not a single deer is busted. So that was the first half of the mission. Then when I get over the fence, it's really only about 12 yards. However, I've got a bed bedding to the north less than 50 to 60 yards to my north. I've got potential bedding 50 to 60 yards to my east, and I've got the same thing to the south. So it took me probably 20 minutes to get to the tree, get up the tree, get everything set, because I'm trying my hardest without making a ting. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, just like, because like they're Dan, close. Dan they're, style almost. Yeah, like they're close enough to where, and that was the thing. I did not take, I did not take my camera that day. I have videoed every single, I have a, I have a, uh, uh, oh, what is that, a fourth arrow? Yeah, fourth arrow brand. Yeah. Three arm. I've got my, you know, my, my main really high def camera external mic and all that stuff and and i have a uh, the thing that hooks up to the tree is a ratchet strap so i've gotten good at doing that quiet but it still makes a little bit of noise and you know now looking back on it if i'd have done that would he have heard me and not come the way he came i don't know so maybe it was a good thing i didn't have my camera with me that day well um, for everybody who doesn't know before we get into the the story of the hunt I told Ty on Facebook, it's documented. <laughs> if you're not going to bring your camera, you will kill tonight. I said this is exactly what it happens or something something like that. And yeah, uh, I, Let me back up. I think, uh, the, the, oh, yes, I said at 12.09, chance of rain all afternoon hitting the stand but no camera. Just an advanced warning. I apologize now because that means something will probably happen. And uh, I think you were one of the few people that said, and you were like, that is exactly when it happens. Those yep. are your exact words. So. Yep, and I'm happy it happened for you, sir. <laughs> I've been there, and uh, it's 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 way worth it, even if you don't have it on film. It's it's obviously worth it. But uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. So let's let's get right into it, man. I'm excited to hear how it happened. I haven't talked to you about it yet. I want to hear the story. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I got up the tree. 
And I still have a text message saved where I text my buddy from Michigan. And I was like, I know I got in undetected. It's not a matter of if he's around, talking of Cicero. It's just a matter of does he get up and come my way tonight. Because what I've got is I've got a little two-track trail that kind of leads off the property just to the north of this stand. And it's the trail that he has been using habitually when he beds to the north. And the funny part is there's actually a chunk right behind the stand that's like just a thicket. I can't even see that trail behind me. But there's a little cubby that they actually sneak in and bed in. So on September 15th, I took a bunch of deadfall stuff and built a wall. And the funny thing is we have video of him on September 16th, the next night, on video walking towards that way and then having to turn around and come back out. (laughs) Perfect. So – I was happy to know that he was one of the deer that was using it, but he literally would have been 10 feet behind the tree if he had used that. So there's that trail that leads kind of north of me and out into this uh, real thick, overgrown two and a half acres on another property, which they bed in all the time. And that was where I really thought he was because of the prevailing winds were pretty calm that day, and that seemed to be where he preferred to be. But I knew on the outside chance he was actually directly east of me, which seemed to be his second preferred spot, which if you – there's an Embrace the Journey um, video on YouTube of mine. I think it's I think it's the third one where okay. I actually talk about the bed. We made a bed, and we've seen it, and that's the bed that I'm actually looking at that I shared earlier in the episode with the, with the trailer, and I watched the buck watch me drive by. Um, that's the bed that I, I thought he was using quite a bit as well, just based on where he was entering and exiting the clover. So it was one of those things where I knew he was pretty close, and I expected to see movement pretty quick because we've had does in that property um, on that clover. They pop out at 3 p.m. through dark at any time. So I actually had to peek into the plot to make sure nothing was in there, get up the stand, and it is dead. I mean, it was one of the deadest hunts I've had in my life, not even a squirrel. Um, if I had taken the main camera, there was zero B-roll potential. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there was no there was no birds. There was no groundhogs. There was nothing. It was crazy dead. And Pops is actually hunting a river bottom by the Homestead property that night. And he texted me. He goes, you said things were going to be moving. I was like, I thought they were. And uh, about that time, he texted me. And, you know, I was getting really bored. I'm playing video – I'm playing video uh, or game on my phone. And a uh, little side story for everybody. It was around 6.20-ish. I have a friend in uh, Wisconsin who actually battled a bunch of cancer. Oh, wow. And for some reason, he popped into my head. And I'm I'm a pretty religious guy. So, like, I, for some reason, I was like, you know, I just want to thank God that I've had this chance – Everything's kind of laid out. The season's young, and I just wanted to thank him. My buddy beat cancer and all this stuff. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not superstitious. I'm not trying to like push God on anybody. But and I don't believe this is why it happened at all. That's not how he works. But I, the prayer ended, and I kid you not, a twig snapped behind me. Wow. And I was like, okay, you know, you hear twig snap all the time. Squirrels are louder than a freight train. And then I just sat still. I did not want to get busted trying to peek over my shoulder. And I kept telling myself, you can't see anything anyways, Ty. There's too much briars and everything. And then I hear one more twig snap. I'm like, man, that sounded kind of heavy, like just a real subtle twig. 
And then I heard an overhead licking branch shaking, and I was like, okay, it's a buck. For sure it's a buck behind me. There's a scrape on that trail about 12 yards behind me, but you can't see it even if you tried. And in the winter, you kind of can when the leaves all fall. But I just sat there, and I kid you not, it was 10 minutes went by, and I never saw anything. I'm looking over my left shoulder. I can kind of see to my northeast through some young oaks and nothing. I'm like, okay. So about the time that I lose faith in it, I'm about ready to text Pop, so I thought I heard something, but nothing. I look over my left shoulder one more time, and I see antlers. I was like, oh, boy. All right, that looks pretty good. Here he we pops go. Out. He pops out, and he's munching on, so along the, the very edge of the clover chicory plot, along the hedgerow, fence row that I'm in, we did one strip where we, we plowed under the clover and planted oats and chicory freshly this fall. And he was munching in that, and he went right through that, got out to the clover, and he raised his head. And that's when, like, I probably gasped, and I'm surprised. <laughs> like, I'm actually shocked he didn't hear me, like, audibly probably go, <gasps> and because I realized who it was. And I never, you know, you, you get pictures of a deer. You get pictures of this buck who's using your property almost daily. And, you, you know, you know you have a good shot to kill him, but it's another thing to lay eyes on him the first time. And here he is, 13 and a half yards to my northeast. Oh, my just, goodness. Just feeding. Like, he has no care in the world. It's 630. It doesn't get dark until I think I had legal time until 8, maybe? I don't know. It, it, it was plenty light. And uh, I'm watching him, and he just is, he, he just is gorging on the clover. I mean, he has no care in the world. He's filling his mouth, filling his mouth, and he starts feeding off to the north and to the east. So if, if there's a picture, and I'll be sure to send these to you, Jared, just post with this, this podcast. Oh, yes, please. Um, from the stand, there's a picture that I post a lot whenever I get up that stand, and it's really cool because I'm kind of tucked in in this young oak. I have a ton of cover around me, but yet there's this natural opening, and as you look out into clover, like I was describing, there's these islands of cover that we've left. So, like, this plot is just a bunch of brush-hogged paths that are, like, four to five feet wide. And there's a couple sections that are, like, maybe ten yards wide, but that's, like, the biggest chunk. And there's one of those right in front of my stand, and I've planted apple trees and pear trees throughout there. But So, like, a deer can be in that plot, and they don't feel like they're out in the open, but yet they literally have a ton of clover and chicory. They just have to kind of weave around these islands and everything. So there's an island directly to the northeast of me, and if he goes north of that and then heads east, he's heading to the other side of the property, to the main food plots, north of the pond, and I'll never see him again. And he starts walking that way, and I'm thinking, I don't have my good camera. I'm not getting any pictures of him. I thought I flipped my GoPro on that was on my head. Come to find out, spoiler alert, it never turned on. (laughs) So uh, zero pictures of him. And he's about out of sight. Like, he's about ready to cross behind the, that briar brush pile. And, dude, I was just, like, it was. I was battling myself with this mindset, like, be happy and content that you saw him. But also, like, I want to throw my bow at him because I'm so mad. Like, I had him at 13 and a half yards. Like, what in the world? And about that time, he turns around a little bit and he feeds some more in the clover. And I notice a hole that I'm looking through all these leaves and branches, there's a hole about the size of a volleyball. 
And I'm like, I think I can get an arrow through there. Yeah, I think I can get an arrow through there. I think I can do that. The problem is I have so much cover and, like, brush to my left that I have to, like, hold my bow in, draw it facing forward, and then kind of weave my body through all this stuff to get in position. And I had a handy cam hanging, and it actually, it's funny because you can see me and you can hear me audibly hitting, like, a vine here, a branch here. And I get into position, and once I get there, I was like, yeah, this isn't a good idea, Ty. <laughs> like, this is the biggest year of your life, and you're going to try to thread a needle. Your, your, the bottom cam is up against the vine. Your, your, your quiver is hitting a branch. Like, this is not what you preach to people, and you're trying to force it. Like, do not do this. So I have to weave myself back out, and this is where I get really nervous. So now I'm facing forward, looking at him over my left shoulder, and I have to let down. Now, the problem with letting down is a lot of these new bows, like, it goes from all, it goes from nothing to all. Yeah. Like, there's there's no middle ground. And I'm trying to hold my finger up there so when the when I let down, the arrow doesn't bounce, you know? Well, when I let down, it may, it bounces. And I, I catch it on the second bounce, and I close my eyes, and I just sit there for, like, a minute, like, dear Lord, don't let him have heard that. Yep. And I look over my shoulder, and the dude is still – I mean, he, he's literally got clover hanging out of his mouth. Oh, wow. Like, he, he's just – he has no care in the world. He feels safe, like he has for months. And then he decides – I'm like, I'm not going to get a shot at him. He literally turns 90 degrees and starts heading south, which is the direction I need him to come to get in my huge opening gap that overlooks the scrape tree at 26 yards, clover in front of me, and then closer to me yet is the oats and the chicory. So he starts walking down. I get in position. It's going to be a 16-yard chip shot. I get my 15. I, I get ready to draw once, and he stops. I'm like, what's he doing? He looks over at my apple tree. I kid you not, this joker was so big, we had five-foot-tall fences around our apple trees. That jerk goes over there and eats like five to eight leaves off of my young apple trees. <laughs> That's the reason to take an arrow right there. Exactly. So, like, I'm sitting there up the tree. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, those can't even taste that good. It's towards the end of the year. They're turning colors, but whatever. So then he finally decides he's going to keep going. He gets to a point where I need him to take two more steps. He's still in cover, so I draw, sitting down, and he stops. I'm like, what is he doing? The scrape's now 12 yards in front of him. There's clover all in front of him. What could he possibly want to do? He takes a 90-degree turn to his right and comes directly towards the tree line in my tree. So now he's at 13 yards. He's at 12 yards. He's at... 11 yards, he's at 10 yards, he's at nine and a half, and he puts his head down and he's eating that oats and chicory. Mind you, I'm at full draw. I have no shot, but if I stand up, I have a shot. I can shoot over the cover. So I'm sitting there, I got this, you know, huge deer at nine and a half yards. And I'm like, if I hold if I hold full draw, I'm not going to be able to let down. He's way too close now. He'll hear me. i got to try to stand up. So I stand up in full draw, hold it. He's slightly quartering to me. Um, I would say 
right at the point where he's just as much broadside as he is quartering to. So, okay. like, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not terrible. I hold that 15-yard pin, which I actually end up – it's a mistake that I do this. I hold that 15-yard pin right behind that part where the shoulder is, aim it, aim it right at middle of the section, and release. And it looks money. The arrow blows through him. His tail is tucked. I see the arrow sticking in the ground as he leaves. So it blew through him clean. But it happened so fast, I couldn't really tell where the impact was. Because, I mean, he's at nine and a half yards. We don't even practice at that distance. (laughs) (laughs) That's super close. He runs north and then east around that island of cover and heads east across the property. I have a really thin pond that runs north-south in the whole center section of it, so he's north of the pond. And I have it on camera. I'm watching the video before you called. And it's roughly, I'm going to try to time it out exactly, but you you hear the shot, you see the shot, you just don't see the deer because, of course, the handicam wasn't on the 10% unlikely spot that he would be standing there. You get a great footage of everything else that you thought he was going to be standing in to get killed on. <laughs> but uh, it's about eight seconds after the release, there's this humongous crash. Nice. Like, not the type of crash, like he's crashing through brush or running through brush. Like, it sounded like a death crash. So here I am up the tree, and you can you can, you can actually see the tree start shaking after the shot. Like, it's a pretty young oak. It's only about maybe eight inches wide. So, like, once it set in what just happened, you could literally see me causing the entire tree to shake. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. And I try to put the bow up, and you can see me kind of fiddle with that. I can't get the bow to actually get on the hook. I end up using two hands. And, uh, oh, it it was quite the adrenaline rush, man. It was It was crazy. It was crazy. Wow, and he is quite the buck. I mean, I saw the pictures and everything, but like you had some teaser pictures on Small Acre and on your Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's a great buck. And then like the next day, you had posted the the trophy pics. I was like, holy cow, Ty, he's he's yeah. big. Um, oh, he is. So why had no did you did you wait a while before you got down, or, or what happened next? Yeah, so uh, I didn't see him go down. And anybody who's listening, I heard the crash. There was a 90% mindset. I knew I had done a pass-through. I knew, worst case, I had hit one lung and probably liver. But I didn't see him go down. I did not want to rush this. If he's dead, he's going nowhere. Right. I couldn't agree more. I agree. But that's easy to do when it's a buck of the size that you've killed before. <laughs> like, Touché. this is a whole other world. Um, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, Pops is hunting. He can't be here really quick. But, I, you know, I obviously text him. My wife is the second person. And then I, I think of a buddy who I helped track a deer. Uh, was it last year? Yeah, I think it was last year. He killed a, He killed an awesome deer. And I went and helped him, really good friend of mine. And I was like, hey, can you come help track this deer? I need you to say yes. That way I stay up the tree and I don't get down. Like, I just wait on you to get here. He's like, oh, I can't. We got family coming over and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, that's not the right answer. 
And uh, so then I text another buddy who I know lives somewhat close to the property, and I was like, hey, is there any chance you could come and help me? Pops is, I'm colorblind also, so another set of eyes for a blood tracking job is always a really good thing for me. Yep. Well, he has a kid, and his wife's working. He's like, I can be there in like an hour. And I'm like, I don't think I can last that long. There's no way. (laughs) So I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. In the meantime, I didn't know this until Pops gets to the property. I had texted him, and, you know, Pops has a really old school phone. But I texted him, hey, I just shot a pass-through shot on Cicero. And then I sent him another text that said, Nobody else can come. Is there any chance you'd be willing to climb down and say you're on your way so I don't, like, mess this up? And he's like, I got deer underneath the stand. And then I'm trying to find all these other people, and he's like, I don't care. I just read your other message. So he had gotten the second one but missed the first one. Oh, okay. (laughs) When he figured out what bucket was, he was like, I didn't care if I blew deer out. I didn't know. I was on my way. Like, That's, That's so cool. So Pops was on his way, and I knew it was going to take him a while. So I decided I was going to stay up the tree until dark. I still had like an hour of really solid light. I actually climbed down before legal light was up even, but I was up the tree for another hour after the shot. And climbed down, walked back to the truck, make a video for Small Like You're Hunting, kind of updating everybody because I hadn't been able to video it, explaining everything. Pops gets there, and I'm walking him through it, and I was like, he was so close that, worst case, my hunch was entrance was going to be good. It was going to hit long, but because of his quartering, too, I had a little bit of hesitancy, but I was like, worst case, it probably hit liver. If it missed the opposite long, it hit that liver. And for those of you listening, like, if you hit a deer's liver, that deer's not going to live. If you shred that liver, it's going to die. Right, but Um, you also want to give it an ample amount of time. Very true, yeah. But if you mix a lung in with a liver, most likely you're talking. For sure. Yeah, most likely you're talking 30 minutes to an hour tops. That deer is going to expire because it's it's shutting down and it's going to have to bed down. As long as you don't push that deer, it's going to bed down in the first 10, 15 minutes after the shot. And it is not getting up. Um. So I felt pretty confident. We walk up to the arrow. I show Pops. He's like, he was that close. I was like, yeah, I could have jumped down with a, with a Bowie knife and attacked him. Oh, man. And so we pull the arrow, which was halfway in the ground. We pull it out. There's blood everywhere. The white fletching's red. And, and you know, Pops gets this grin on his face like, this is going to be awesome. And we start looking. And we're following. I was like, I know he went this way. We find no blood. There's blood at the entrance, like where I shot him. We move three feet. We find his first couple steps. There's zero blood. I'm like, that's weird. And Pops is like, well, you know, like normal, sometimes it takes a few, you know, those of us who have been on a blood trail, sometimes they take a while to really open up. So we get up around the corner of that brush pile, and I'm like, well, we should start seeing blood here. Nothing. Zero blood. And this is where, like, Pops looks at me kind of type of thing because he's the one who spots blood. I don't spot blood very well, but I read sign. Like, I'll see a leaf that's been crushed or, you know, a branch that's been busted. And he's like, all right, you're going to have to lead us to blood. And I was like, oh, great. Not like I'm nervous enough. And (laughs) so we start following his tracks. Like, I'm literally following 
just trying to find his tracks, this big dominant bucks tracks through the clover. And we, we get out of the clover and where the clover ends, there's just a mud trail, dirt trail through the woods that leads to the other side of the property and eventually the food plot. So it got really easy to see his tracks in there because like I had mentioned earlier, it had rained overnight. So everything was pretty soft, but not like muddy. So I was able to see his tracks and we did find I actually found the first droplet of blood. Pops found the second droplet. And when I say droplet, I'm talking, imagine grabbing a marker out of your kid's, like, coloring kit and just barely, like, just touch the paper with it. Got it. I know exactly that size. Insane small. Wow. We We found two. We think we found a third. We still don't know exactly if it was blood or not. It looked like blood. But we... That's all we found. So, like, the last 40, 40 yards of the trail, so we found blood when he left the clover, drop, 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 and then it went dry again. And at this point, he can shoot north or he can shoot south to the pond. So I go check the pond route, don't see him in the pond, don't see any disturbance. I come back. Pops is still looking for blood on the trail. I then go north into the little woods a little bit, nothing. I come back out, and I was like, okay, I'm going to just try to find his tracks. I find his tracks, and he's starting to – you can actually see each track is, like, going sideways. Like, he's starting to get a little wobbly. And I'm like, well, this is where I thought he crashed. There's a little island of cover. It breaks about – we're about 80 yards from the tree stand right now. And the brush hog trail that we cleared wise, and one Y shoots south to an area that we're going to turn into a CRP bedding area. The other one goes north and then hooks south to the food plots. So there's a cluster of, like, picture, like, young sapling, no bigger than your forearm. Just a cluster of them. Just a bunch of them. And that's where I thought he died. So, like, I was like, Dad, just let's shine our lights. Let's see if he died in there. You know, maybe he's still woozy, but he can't get up. Like, I don't want to bump him. We shine our lights up into that jungle for probably a few minutes. Nothing. It's like, all right, let's just keep walking. So we start walking. We get up to the Y. We're literally standing in the Y. And I was like, you go right, I'll go left. And right when I think about that, I shine my light, and there's his nose four feet in front of me. <laughs> oh, buddy. Wow. He was, he was literally in that cluster of brush that we had just scanned, but no white belly was showing. The thro- He has a double throat patch, so that's another cool aspect of him. He's got a double throat patch, could not see anything, and he was in he when he died, he actually broke a two inch big sapling. That's how big of a deer he is. Jeez. And he was in so much gnarled mess that his antlers just kinda all jumbled in with stuff. So like I was like, Oh my gosh, there he is and like dad pops freaked out a little bit because we didn't know if he was alive or not in a split second and then all the hooping and hollering and the, like all I could say was he's huge, Dad. He's huge. <laughs> like, I, like pops walks up to him, and I'm literally standing there in awe. I've dropped my camera. Like I, I'm not ashamed to admit that there probably was a few tears that were shed because I knew instantly that it was the biggest year of my life. Of course. Wow. Up to this point. Up to this point. Wow, man! Congratulations on that. That's. I, I know the the teaser pictures. There's a lot of vegetation. It's still early in the season. It's not hard mm-hmm. for a buck to fall over in some four-foot-tall goldenrod and disappear, you know? Yep, so, yeah. But, but, yeah, so 
for the listeners, what the issue was with the blood trail, and this is, oh, I've already read, God, I think I'm up to like eight just in the last couple of days of guys saying, you know, I thought I put a good shot on a deer and I didn't find it. Yeah. And this is a blood trail, I guarantee you, I, I'm not going to list them, obviously, because this is public, but I could probably list a dozen people that I know that I call friends or acquaintances or people that I went to school with or that I know that they would have stopped tracking this deer. They, they, they flat would have just stopped. There's no blood. I obviously must have just, I, they must not have been as good as I thought. You owe it to the deer to keep looking. Follow his tracks. Do whatever you have to. Call the dog. I actually had a buddy in Michigan that I was getting ready to text before we found him, get in your truck and head this way because we have rain coming in four hours. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'll pay you whatever it takes. With a dog? Yeah, with a dog. Yeah, yeah. I found mine with a dog last year. I I would yep. also recommend, I guess, uh, a blood trailing PSA. If you're questionable at all, yep. call a dog. I've seen it work twice, and it's unbelievable how that works. But anyways, continue. Oh, it's amazing. And But I would just recommend to everybody, especially if you're doing the blood trail by yourself, get somebody else out there with you. If yeah. you're going to give up, see if somebody else that you trust Contact the most knowledgeable hunter, the guy who you know has found the most deer in your life that you know. See if he's available to get out there. I mean, it's worth it. Um, you know, I knew the direction he headed. I knew I had hit him. I thought I hit him decent. The reason why there was no blood was because I used my 15-yard pin, like I was saying earlier, and he was at nine and a half yards. I literally should have been aiming bottom of the chest to heart, like very low. Because, I mean, none of us practice that close of a shot at all. And left to right, I was money. I mean, I put it right where I wanted left to right, but up and down, it hit five inches high probably. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying for blood trailing purposes, but the deer was dead within, you know, how many yards. I th- I see. I, I've made that shot a couple times, the, the close shot aiming yeah. lower. So, like you're, you're saying you should have done, I've done that. And but I've usually been a little higher up, so maybe it would have worked out sure. for you. Um, if you're higher if up, I, yeah, it uh, ends up being like one lung, you know, maybe lung liver, etc. Where yeah. you got, you know, you got a a great pass through, and yeah, high lung shots don't leave a lot of blood, but you made a very effective shot. So I mean, don't don't get oh, yourself yeah. too bad. I think you I think you made a great shot. Well, the reason the abnormal thing we've tracked numerous deer over the years. I've never seen this happen. I would have had a good blood trail. I mean, his chest cavity was just, when we cut him open, blood just yeah. ran him. Yeah. So I hit I, I hit lung, and then it cleared through, and I hit opposite liver. When it hit the other side and blew through, it actually pulled a chunk of fat and literally plugged that exit hole. When we found him, Pops was like, there's there's something hanging out of that exit hole. And we, we checked it, and it's fat. And there was literally no blood barely any blood there was some but barely any blood had escaped and even gotten on his exit hole area yeah that's crazy it plugged him so much that i couldn't even poke the fat back through really take better pictures so we literally just like left it until we gutted him no way it it was crazy it was it was it was one of the it was one of the craziest things i'd ever seen and that you know Nine times out of ten, that blow-through is not going to do that, and there's going to be a really good blood trail. Right. But I heard him crash. 
That's the biggest thing. I heard him crash. And trust your instincts, you know, all your listeners out there. If you hear him crash and it's not followed by any other noise, chances are that's him going down. You know, a, a dying deer will sometimes run crazy and you'll hear crash, 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 like through stuff, like he's hitting things. But it, it's a totally different sound when you hear that real true crash. Yep. And you have to remember when that does happen. I've been so excited where an hour later you go, did I hear him crash? I th- right. I think I, I think he crashed. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And, but, yep. you know, at the, at the time that it happened, you, you realize he did, so. Yep. Okay, well, tell us about this buck. So, yeah, how big is he, man? Okay, so there's a couple unique features of him, and I actually sent you – I actually went out – it's not the most glamorous pictures, but I actually sent you a couple that you can – or I sent you maybe one of his one brow tine. Um, so on his right side – yeah, it's his right side. Yes. He's got just a crazy base. So he's got like a nine-inch – crazy point that just shoots off of his base and kind of curls like a second beam. Um, that's not his main G1. I scored it as just an abnormal uh, time. The true G1 goes up about, uh, let's see, right antler, seven inches. I've got the score sheet in front of me. But the crazy thing is, I sent you that picture. There's a third brow time, I guess you could call it, that grows right beside it, that is completely separate. You can actually see the gap in between it and the picture that I sent you. Wow. So there's like so there's like three brow tines there, and you have to kind of guess. So I'm really curious when I get this to an actual scorer how they're going to score it. So what I'm going to tell you score-wise is a really rough green score, obviously. And But I did this three times. When we put tape on in that first night, we all we had was a really stiff tape measure. Like, yep. I'm talking, like, <laughs> constructor grade. Actual tape measure, yeah. Yeah. So I was telling Pops, like, if we measured 18 and a half, we were saying, like, 18, 18 and a quarter just to be safe on everything. Like we were rounding down, and we got to 167. And I just – Wow. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there, and and Pops is like, okay, give me the mass measurements. We're at 142 already. And I'm like, wait, what? You're lying. And, you know, the base on that right side, because of all that mass right there, depending where you measure it, which I'm curious to see where they do it, it's anywhere from 8 to 9 and a quarter inches, just the base measurement, that first H1. Well, it looks like there's two bases sitting next to each other on that right side. <laughs> it does. It does, but it's all it's it's crazy. So I scored him when I got home three times and I came within a with less than an inch gap around one seventy three. What? So yeah. So it all depends how they score this guy. Um he was mature though. Don't booty, don't, buddy. Don't you know, the listeners out there and guys who have followed more like you're hunting know I'm the kind of guy, if it's mature, it's going to die. It just so happened this guy had a lot of antlers to go with that maturity. Oh, um, I, I couldn't agree more, and, it, you know, it doesn't go to a more well-deserved guy, but that's a big deer. And, uh, oh, it's I a mean, giant. I, I thought he was pretty big, and I saw, like I said earlier, I saw your pictures later on. I'm like, holy cow, that thing's huge. 
Yeah, I mean, his 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 G2s, just to put in perspective, for those of you guys looking at maybe the trophy footages or the pictures while you're looking at this, and I'll, I'll send Jared a couple of them so he can upload them. But the G2 length on both sides is nine and a quarter and nine and a half. So they're nearly 10 inches in length, yeah. uh, those, G, those G2s. And then the really cool thing, and like we were talking before the episode, he's, he's just, you know, gosh, God creates, creates some pretty awesome creatures. This dude is kind of a buck. I had two guys, buddies of mine, travel from Balboa to take the trophy pictures, so that's an hour and 45-minute drive to see this joker. Shout-outs to Sean Riley and Ryan Katz for that. It, it's cool. The hunting culture is so cool um, in that there's guys willing to give up their their Saturday mornings to come see a deer almost two hours away. But uh, they came out, and Sean Riley said it right, man. He's like, this deer has everything. Like I was telling you earlier, Jared, before we started the podcast, like if you're a non-typical fan, he has that. If you're a typical fan, he has that. It's just so cool. You know, that G2, how it kind of splits. He literally has an eight and three quarters inch kicker off of his G2 on his left side. Like what? who does that? What deer has that? Yeah, no, that left side is super nice as, like, a typical side. And then the right side is all kinds of craziness going on. Um, yeah. Yep. Oh, you know, man, I, you're you're super blessed. I'm, in the best way, jealous of you. That <laughs> That is an awesome deer, buddy. Congratulations again. Holy cow. I mean, yeah, but 22 acres, buddy. 22 acres. Yep, 22 acres. And I've already had a couple guys message me wanting to lease the property from me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I've, I, I've learned the harsh reality of when you actually kill a deer that, you know, other people realize is huge. I've killed some awesome deer. Like, I'm looking at them. And, but nothing this big. And they mean just as much to me. Okay, I'm kind of lying. This one means a lot. <laughs> but, but, like, they all have a story to tell, and they're all special. And, like, yeah, I love yeah. them all. But it's like when you kill a deer of a certain level – People that you don't even know come out of the woodwork wanting to, oh, oh, hey, can I hunt your place? Can I, can I, can I lease it out? You know, how much would you charge? And, God, some people just don't understand the culture that this is. It's cutthroat. Like, I hear guys kill booners and then they lose the property. Like, yeah. before that year's even done. Yeah, I've, I've it, heard that too. And, uh, unfortunately, I don't have that problem. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I see that you do now. And, you know, you're right. I'm, but, what people don't know is the detail, um, the, yeah. the blood, sweat, and tears, literally, that probably went into this. I mean, I thought, I've known you and followed you for a long time, so I know you're probably ten times as detailed as I am, and I'm probably five times as detailed as half the people I know, so when it, when it comes for to sure. bowling. So for sure, yep. The fact that oh, yeah. this is sitting in front of you, I'm not that surprised. Um, <laughs> well, like, that makes one of us in this podcast. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you're you're putting them down, buddy. You are. And uh, the the only other thing I wanted to cover, I mean, we're getting kind of up on time here, and yeah. but the only thing I wanted to cover was why. And this is probably the most important part of the podcast. Why do you think that buck was there that day at that time? And why were you in that stand? I, I want the people who listen to this to be able to, you know, turn this off and be like, all right, well, I can go hunt that that west stand on my 40. Sounds mm-hmm. kind of like a similar situation with this next cold front coming in in yeah. like four days. And uh, maybe make the same kind of success for them. 
Yeah. It's 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 a question that I could answer really simply, but I feel like it needs a little bit of explanation. I would I would I would detail it all in this. I set up the security through all the blood, sweat, and tears, the chainsaw tanks, the the things like that. So there's the security aspect of it that I created for this deer. And then there's the patience factor. Um, patience, I created security, and then as a hunter, I was patient and smart. I'm not always good at that. There's times where I, I rush in or I try to force the issue. Um, and I understand this was the very first hunt of this year, but I literally – it could have been October 14th before all the perfect – things came into play right um this is a stand that's really close to the bedding area so it's not a stand that i would typically tell everybody go in there and hunt now granted if you have most recent intel with trail cam pictures showing that that buck is up wait until the conditions are right you know the deer's moving and if the conditions start illustrating to the point that not only should they be moving because of a front coming through because of impending weather. You know, a lot of the times we think about a front post-front, but that front moving in sometimes right before really bad storms can be really good. Now, granted, I don't like hunting right up to them because of tracking reasons, but whenever weather indicates that most likely movement's going to be good, when the wind is perfect for that certain location, when you know that you have the patience to slip in, timing works right, you're willing to get there early, take your time getting to the stand like it all comes into play and anybody can do it like that's it you just have to be willing to look at and track stuff you know i i've literally every big buck i catalog what they're doing when they're doing it, and i start it, i don't i don't like the word pattern because bucks are unpredictable if they were patternable we'd all kill them amen because a pattern is something that never it always repeats and it's continuous. They have tendencies though. Cicero was illustrating tendencies that he was very comfortable. He was betting around that clover. Nearly every day he loved coming to it. I just had to wait and not force it. I had to wait until the exact wind. I needed it to be quiet so a rain beforehand made it all the more worthwhile. So if anybody listening to this, be make security if you can make them feel comfortable make them feel safe don't overcheck your cameras check them only in bad weather or when you're already out there working on the property don't do a trip just to check cameras and make sure the wind is right when you're checking that camera yeah especially if you're near bedding areas i understand guys who hunt big ag properties you can check the cameras without really disrupting them much but on these small acre properties yes make sure the wind is in the right direction or you're letting them know well in advance that you're coming. But during the season, I never check cameras unless the wind's right or we're disrupting the property. Like when we track this deer, I checked everything. But anybody listening, create the security. Because if you, you can have the food, you can have the water, you can have the bedding. But if you don't make them feel safe, it doesn't matter. And then be patient. And when things all align, do everything you can to get out there. Like I literally texted uh, my dad and this guy from Michigan like that day. I was like, Something's going to die. I have to get in the stand. I never felt that confident because everything was aligning from weather, conditions, the sight, the wind, the deer. Everything was illustrating the fact that that day there was a really high chance that something was going to die. And amazingly, it all worked out. It doesn't always happen that way. But if I wouldn't have been out there, I never would have known. 
Wow, man. Congratulations again. I mean, I've been out one time this year so far, and the next best thing to hunting is to hear about a story like this from a guy like you. So what what a great hunt. What a great buck, and congrats again, Ty. Amazing. Thanks, bud. Now, anything else you want to cover before we wrap this up? Uh, let me check my notes. I already touched on security, touched on clothing, touched on patience. Yeah, I mean, it, what a great I story. I think we're good. I think we're good, and uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more betting. So stay tuned to uh, Small Lake Running. I'm going to be doing a lot more betting creation this next year. we got a awesome. logger coming in. We're revamping the entire southern and northeast corner of our properties to uh, encourage more betting. So just uh, all your followers and that, and and hopefully I can even invite maybe you down and we can do a site tour sometime live. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to come down. Um, you aren't that far. so No, not really, not I'd, at all. I'd love to come down, check out your place, uh, maybe even record a podcast while we're down there. You never know. There you, there you go. Well, dude, thanks again for coming on. Uh, this will not be your last time on. I know that, but I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, a couple of crazy white-tailed dudes at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> That's how it happens, though. So thank you again, and um, yep. congrats. What a, what a deer. If you haven't already Googled it, everybody listening, see if you can win those broadheads. Yes, and lastly, how can people find you, Ty, if they want to hear more about you? Yeah, um, I'm really active on Facebook. That's where I do uh, everything that I record or video does make it to Facebook. Most of the stuff makes it to YouTube, and I do have a website as well, um, com. You can subscribe and uh, get email notifications. I do not send out more than like six or seven a year, so I don't spam your in email folder. That's for sure. I hate that as much as everybody else. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. If you Google Small Acre Hunting, you'll, you'll see that. You'll actually see the video coming up here soon. I'm going to try to get it out by Friday telling the full story of Cicero. But most of you do not need to do that now unless you just want visuals with it because you heard the whole story here, um, which is kind of cool. Um, and then Facebook, Small Acre Hunting, uh, just Small Acre Hunting on Facebook, and you can check me out. I'm also on, uh, what is that, with the pictures, Instagram. Wow, I just sounded like a <laughs> I just sounded like an 80-year-old man. It's, hey, it's, it's obviously right. late on Sunday. Some, hey, some 80-year-old men know how to use Instagram, so. This is true. This is true. No offense <laughs> to the 80-year-old men listening. Oh, man. Well, dude, hey, thanks again, brother. I appreciate it. And, and that's a wrap, guys. Another game plan episode in the works. I want to thank Ty for coming on and telling us that story. I cannot believe how big that deer is and how... Early in the evening, he came out, and how everything just came together for you. Um, I want to point out, I think the access, the food, the camera, the wind, everything Ty had going for him. So hopefully you guys took some notes and can you know put some of this stuff into your own game plan, into your own action uh, this coming weekend. I want to thank the Packer Max line of call to Packers, the Habitat Hook from Nation's Creations, for supporting the podcast. If you guys are new to the podcast, we are here to learn and to become better habitat managers. That's the goal. You can find all of our podcasts on the habitatpodcast.com website. We have a Facebook and an Instagram, both at Habitat Podcast. Also, you can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, all those 
podcast venues we're trying to get up on. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for your support. Couldn't do this without the listeners, you guys. And, uh, you know, keep up the hunt this fall. I wish everybody luck in the stand. And uh, enjoy your woods, guys. Thanks for tagging along. It's become better. Have a chat, man.